nice to see you here. I'm Doug Fullington. I am manager of audience education here at PNB. This is the final repertory program of the season. We have four ballets. Uh, and they're all coming back into repertory. None are new to us. This is a straight up and down repertory program. All of the ballets are by dancers men who have had a close relationship with New York City Ballet. Not all the ballets were made for them, but they all sort of come through that aesthetic a little bit. Uh, Christopher Wielden uh, from the Royal Ballet in England, he's British, uh, made most of his career at New York City Ballet and was a resident choreographer there for some years. And now he has a closer association back in London with Royal Ballet. Uh, after the Rain Potida, which is second on the program, uh, was made for New York City Ballet in 2005, and we acquired it just three years later in 2008, uh, just the second half of that ballet, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, Tide Harmonic, first on the program, was made for us by Chris Wielden. Uh, we had four ballets from him already, and this was, uh, we were at a point where we could, Peter Bull felt like he could ask for a new work from Chris, and it was made for our 40th anniversary season. Uh, third on the program, Appassionata, which is titled after the Beethoven Appassionata Sonata, which is a very famous uh, piano work by Beethoven, was made for Paris Opera Ballet in 2016, and just months later we acquired it. That's by Benjamin Millipier. And then last on the program is Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit. Justin Peck is a prolific choreographer over just the last six years. And this was the work that put him on the map in 2012, and uh, we acquired it in 2016. So these are all really recent works. The oldest is After the Rain from 2005. So this does give a good uh, picture of what's going on, I guess we'd say, in neoclassical ballet. Uh, this sort of represents what's happening now in, in that type of style of dancing. So let's get right into Tide Harmonic. I'm very happy to answer questions at any time. And I'm going to get through the ballets, and I'm going to talk about other things <coughs> as well. What's happening for the end of the year? We're going to Paris soon. And I'll talk about those things and, and get us into the beginning of next season. So Tide Harmonic, the title is the title of the music that Chris chose. It is a piece by Joby Talbot. Joby is a British composer. He is the composer of Christopher Wielden's uh, Alice in Wonderland, which is a full-length ballet that was made for the Royal Ballet and the National Ballet of Canada. It's a full-length. So he and Joby Talbot have worked together uh, more than once, and so Chris picked uh, a selection of music from Tide Harmonic uh, for this work. Tide Harmonic was composed in 2009, and it was arranged specially for this ballet. They talked about what parts of the piece uh, Chris wanted to use, and Joby Talbot fashioned it. It is a real tour de force for the orchestra. They love to play it. Uh, the whole piece is meant to evoke the sounds and the, the power of water. Uh, if you like to go down to the orchestra pit and look in it, you'll see a ton of percussion instruments. I don't know if there are four or five players, but it's everybody down there with all their gear. Uh, the percussionists love it. You know, most of the percussionists have some room or shed or something that is full of every kind of percussion instrument. Some are really obscure, and they're so excited when they get to pull out whatever it is that, you know, they haven't played in three years because it's not used. And it's used in this one, so it's a lot of percussion. It's a very exciting score. Uh, 
Chris Wielden has cast four couples. They're not, they don't always operate as couples, but it's four men and four women. And you can see that the costumes have a sort of water feel to them. They're blue, and uh, the women have a sort of cape almost that come, comes off and it, it moves with them. Um, I was trying to think if there are water motifs in the choreography, and there well may be. There's a part that I always think of looks looks like crab walking. It's a part for two men. Or maybe they're jellyfish, I'm not sure. Maybe they're, they're not, neither of those, and I'm just reading into it. But you'll see, uh, I think, the way they move, and they bend their knees, and their arms move, and they sort of pair up and move together. I can't remember if they move sideways. If they moved side, sideways, I think I'd have an argument for crab for a crowd. So uh, this is a really aggressive work for the dancers. It's, there, is, there does seem to be a kind of sub-genre of contemporary works now that really uh, take the dancers to the limit of their physical capabilities and sort of exhaust the dancers. Ballet traditionally has been an art form where you, the dancer doesn't show the effort so much. It's very much a 19th century aesthetic of not showing the effort, you know, continually jumping, but it looks really easy, and uh, you land really softly, and you just keep going. Uh, I think as we move through time now, in the 21st century, we uh, are really seeing the physicality of dancers and how they are athletes, and I think the choreographers uh, show that now uh, much more often than they used to in the choreography, and we're meant to see uh, the effort. Not that it necessarily is a struggle, but that we can identify with the strength, uh, the strength of the body in, in the dancing. And I think that we see, see this here in Tide Harmonic. Uh, Christopher Wielden's also known as a real master of uh, partnering, creating choreography for partners, whether they're men and women or uh, same-sex partnering, just wonderful uh, ideas and ways of to dancers working together that may not have been explored thus far. And that definitely is, has become a hallmark of his style, and we will see lots of that in Tide Harmonic as well. Uh, Tide is one of the pieces we're taking to Paris. Uh, we're taking mostly contemporary work, some work that uh, has been made for us. I can just get into Paris, I guess. We're going at the end of uh, June. It's a festival that's been going on for I want to say 15, possibly 15 plus years. It's called Les Etés de la Danse. Um, it's a summer dance festival in Paris, usually lasts two or three weeks. Uh, this year, the first week is dedicated to Jerome Robbins' ballets because it is the centenary of Jerome Robbins. He was born in 1918. And we will be joined by New York City Ballet, Joffrey Ballet, Miami City Ballet, PNB, and Perm Opera Ballet Theater from Russia doing two pro mixed programs, and we'll be taking Robin's Opus 19, The Dreamer, which is sent to the wonderful Prokofiev Violin Concerto. We, we performed last year at this time. Uh, and then we'll move into a week of just PMB, and we'll have two programs of four ballets each, and Tide is on one of those programs. It's wonderful to bring a program uh, that includes ballets that were made just for us because we're giving them the premiere uh, of Tide Harmonic in Paris. And uh, so that's on one of the programs. Uh, we're all, what, are all, what else are we bringing? See how good my memory is. Red Angels is going, Slingerland Duet, uh, Emergence, uh, Little Moral Jump, 
her door to the sky, waiting at the station, and a passionata. So it's a lot, and we uh, Peter Bull programmed the season this year so that the ballets were in repertory. And not only does that help the dancers, but it helps the crew, and it helps the musicians, and it helps the uh, helps wardrobe, and we have multiple casts ready to go. So um, th those are the ballets we're taking. Yes. Um, you mentioned on your way in how the stage has to be set to a minimum temperature, mm -hmm. and like those ballets all have very different lighting. So how sophisticated is the um, heating system? To like, does it change with the lighting design of different ballets, and will that be just totally, you know, different? I'm sure it'll be very different. In it's a question about, I mentioned when I came in that it was cold in here, but on stage we have a, a minimum temperature. The dancers contractually have a minimum temperature that they will dance at, um, and it applies next door as well. And the question was, does the lighting affect that? It Generally not. What sometimes affect it, affects it is when we use haze on stage, because when it's really warm, the haze will not, uh, the haze will, I think, rise. It won't do what we want it to do. So we, we try and keep it a little cooler if possible. Uh, so when we do ballets with haze, all the doors are shut to the stage. It's very as tightly controlled as possible while the curtain is still closed so that the haze will behave the way we want it to. You know, when we go on tour, it is always... Um, you always have to be ready for conditions that aren't the same as at home. We have a very luxurious theater here. We have a very large stage and wonderful technical capabilities and beautiful dressing rooms. It's, it's, we are very fortunate uh, here. We love our theater. It's also really fun to travel. It builds tremendous camaraderie uh, among the dancers and the, the entire touring staff. And it's wonderful to dance for other audiences and, and see and feel their reactions, especially to works they've not seen. But there, there are definitely challenges. Um, we're performing in a theater that is very, very new. Uh, it's called La Seine uh, Musicale. Uh, it's a little pun on the word Seine because it's Seine is in stage and Seine is in, it's on an island in the Seine uh, River in Paris. And uh, it's essentially a roadhouse, uh, a theater in which uh, traveling shows would come and bring in all their gear. We tend to not travel that way. We, we, we tend to travel to theaters that are set up uh, for us. So there's a lot of rental of equipment and washing machines and just, I mean, everything. So we've had two pre-trips over there with a couple of teams to make sure it's going to be the way we need it to be over there. Um, but uh, How much we're ready. time did the dancers get over there? We get very little dress rehearsal time. We get one dress rehearsal per per program, and not per cast, but per program. And for most ballets, we're, uh, we're presenting two casts. I think in the case of Slingerland, we have three casts. It's a pas de deux, so it's a little more manageable. But of course, um, Peter Bull and the casting wants to provide opportunities for the dancers, so it's wonderful to present multiple casts. Just means that people need to uh, know that the time is very limited. But that's another reason to program the ballets here at home and have them uh, up and running as much as we can, multiple casts having performed them. And that really prepares us for a very concentrated week of performances there. So, yes, sir. 
how much of the orchestra will be able to go? We're not taking the full orchestra this time because the festival works with an existing orchestra, but we are taking uh, Emile Deku, our conductor, and uh, Alan Damron, who will just, uh, Alan won't conduct, but he'll, he is piano soloist for Passionata and for Waiting at the Station. Uh, Christina Siemens is also going. She actually is playing the piano solo for Robin's Interplay for Joffrey Ballet. Because we're sort of the resident company there, we're sort of providing services of all kinds to the to the other companies as well. Uh, Michael Jinsu Lim, our concertmaster, is going as well. Uh, and will be concertmaster for a number of pieces and will play the Prokofiev Violin Concerto. So are they, are you, are we getting reimbursed? Oh, oh yes, we are. Uh, when we are when you are presented by a festival, there's a whole uh, uh, financial uh, agreement. I would imagine the contract yeah. is pretty. The, the contract detailed. takes months to work yes. out, and every festival has a different setup. Uh, what they provide, and then what they expect you to cover uh, with the fee that they provide as well. So each festival has a different setup, but of course there is. Um, the shipment, we shipped everything at the beginning of May in containers that will go through the Panama Canal and across the Atlantic. Um, you know, we all fly over, there's uh, per diem, ground transportation, um, all, you know, hotel, uh, everything. Yes, it is a, a it is, ballet is an expensive art it's form. It's a wonderful, but, uh, wonderful thing. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're saying it's a wonderful thing. I think it is too. Yes, sir. Historically, is there any recruiting of dancers to other companies like That's such a good question. Uh, is there any recruiting of dancers? When we go on tour, uh, I usually receive a number, number of inquiries from dancers who would like to take class with the company while we're on tour. They want to come and take the daily class as an audition. Um, we usually screen those people fairly heavily because tour is a, a sort of highly fairly highly charged atmosphere, dancers are in a different place, and the class really serves as a warm-up for a day that probably includes a dress rehearsal right into a show in a new venue. So um, we, uh, we are a little bit more selective than we may be for dancers who are in, uh, travel through Seattle and, and asked to take class with us. But uh, that definitely can be an aspect of touring. When we went to London, I think in 2002, or it might have been 1999, I forget which one, uh, we had a formal audition uh, during the week that we were touring there, and we publicized that, and, and dancers came and auditioned for the company. So, Touring is a great way to get the name of the company uh, out there for, uh, for dancers. Dancers are interested in companies that tour, because dancers like to tour. It offers more performing opportunities, so it's great visibility for us. Uh, uh, sure. Did anyone, do you know, come um, or join the company after the London audition? You see, that's what I was trying to remember. <laughs> Did anyone join the company after the London audition? I want to say no, but I could be mistaken. Has this been quite some time? So, yes. Oh, that is true. We're not getting to the ballets very much on the show, but I promise we will. Yes, I... Oh, thank you. Um, it was just a question. 
not only is it the Robin centenary this year, but it is the 200th birthday of Marius Petipas, oh, the French oh, 19th century choreographer. And there's a conference in Moscow next week that I will be speaking at. So, um, and I'll be talking about the notation system that was used to notate his ballet. So. Oh, I'm not sure if it'll be recorded, but I, we get plenty of, uh, you guys get plenty of me next door talking about notation, so I'm sure at some point next year, with regard to Sleeping Beauty, we'll, we'll do something on that, yeah. Thank you. After the Rain, Potida <laughs> is not going to Paris. This is, I have to say, I think this is one of the most beautiful contemporary duets. It is very, very popular. It is performed on gala programs worldwide. Uh, it wasn't choreographed on its own. It's part of a two-part ballet called After the Rain. And the first part is uh, set for three couples uh, dancing to Arvo uh, Perrick's a piece called Tabula Rasa. And then the second part is this duet set to uh, Spiegel im Spiegel, it's called, also by Perrick, which is um, a piece for solo piano and violin. It's a very, very simple and spare piece. But... Uh, the second half, this duet, made such an impression that it started to be performed on its own, and Christopher Wheeldon has, has allowed that. And uh, it, I have to say, it, it's probably the most often, most oft-performed uh, contemporary duet you know, that was written. It was, it, it was com uh, choreographed 13 years ago. Um, it, it, it's quite something. Sometimes it's done in bare feet. I think more often than not, the uh, dancers wear uh, ballet, you know, sort of slippers, but it's sometimes done in bare feet, and I think it can be done either way, and I'm not sure what James and Rachel are doing tonight, I have to say, so you can look and see if they're in, if they're in slippers or bare feet. Um, it, is, it is balletic in nature, but there's a lot of sort of just natural movement to it, and I think that is part of its appeal. Um, definitely, we can see Chris Wielden's ability to create a connection between two dancers. It's not just between them, but that I think that draws the audience in as well. Um, there are no bravura movements here. It's often very slow moving. Uh, and the dancers often move in unison next to each other. Um, there are some beautiful lifts, but always um, with a, a sense of ease and, and, and gentleness to it. The whole feel here is gentle. And I don't know if there's a, if there's a particular story behind um, the choreography or what it's intended to convey. It always seems to me that perhaps it's followed something, uh, something tumultuous, mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps that is part of the title. Well, sure, I've heard maybe a possibility with the 9/11. 9-11, sure, uh, New York City Ballet did uh, as a sort of uh, tribute and in memoriam, if you will, uh, a memorial tribute to 9-11, film some of this at sunrise and that you can see that on, on YouTube, uh, it's very beautifully done, um, but um, yeah, the, the, the duet's very lovely and uh, all the dancers want to do it. So James Moore is dancing tonight, and Rachel Foster, both of them have been out uh, for a fair amount of time this year with some injuries, and we're so pleased that they're back. Uh, Corel Cruz, who's retiring at the end of this season, uh, will dance it with uh, Leslie Rausch, who makes her uh, debut in this, 
And Seth Orza will be with Elizabeth Murphy, also making her debut. So um, some really beautiful casts. I mean, I would come back to the program to see the different casts in this because I think it's very, there's something very personal about it, and uh, it's very it's very beautiful. So uh, a very very generous gift from Christopher Wielden to allow the, the duet to be extracted from the ballet. Uh, Passionata also going to Paris. Uh, is by Benjamin Millipier. There aren't many ballets to Beethoven. Uh, I think Twyla Tharp's choreographed to Beethoven. Balanchine didn't choreograph to Beethoven. Uh, it's, I don't think he said he didn't like Beethoven. He's on record saying that he, he feels, or he felt that certain music uh, stood on its own and nothing could be added to it. So he, perhaps he felt that way about Beethoven, I'm not sure. The Passionata Sonata is very famous. A very famous work um, that uh, many pianists have tackled. Uh, it's, it's one of the mature Beethoven works, and it's a lengthy work. It's about half an hour. It'll be Alan Dameron playing it every show, um, and uh, he's in a race on a raised platform uh, by the pit, which is wonderful. So we, you can see him play and also interact with the dancers. Uh, like tight harmonic, and maybe even more so, this is a dance that really asks absolutely everything physically of the dancers. They even have a costume change uh, oh, in the cool. middle of it. So it is, uh, it's almost like a two-act ballet for three couples. Um, uh, they're presented first in these sort of beautiful jewel tones and then in monochromatic colors later. And uh, Benjamin Millipier is giving, given a real sweep to this piece. There's a lot of running, and in fact, the dancers say that's part of what's so exhausting. It's not just the, the movements and the interaction, uh, and there's also quite a bit of jumping, but there's a lot of running, too. It's extremely aerobic, and not in short spurts, either. So again, I think part of the experience for us is seeing the exhaustion, particularly in the last five, six, seven minutes in this final movement that's just going, going. And uh, the dancers are really rising to meet the energy that Beethoven is asking of the pianist. And it's quite, uh, it's quite thrilling. This was made first for uh, Paris Opera Ballet, as I said, uh, in February of 16. It had a different title, uh, La, La Nuit S'Achève, or The Night Ends. Um, the box office here, and I think rightly so, sometimes tells us, you know, if people can't pronounce it, they're not going to buy a ticket <laughs> to it. And uh, I'm not sure if that's the reason for the name change, but I know that Peter Bull and Benjamin had discussed uh, a name change, and then Benjamin settled on a passionata, which is a sort of very balancing type of approach in naming the ballet after the piece of music. But of course, it does mean passion, and I think that's a uh, major factor in this ballet, as you see, particularly the central couple, uh, which tonight is uh, Elizabeth Murphy and Carell Cruz, very beautifully matched in this. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful piece. It's interesting that we're taking it to Paris and that it was made for Paris Opera, uh, but the festival presenters really wanted to, wanted to show it. Uh, they'll see, you know, so Paris will see a different company dance it. And um, I think San Francisco Ballet is acquiring this work as well, coming up too, is what I've heard. So the, uh, it's starting to uh, make its way to other companies. Uh, Year of the Rabbit is the last piece on the program. I really like this piece because, as I said, it, it, it put Justin Peck on the map. 
Uh, he made it in 2012, and it began life as a ballet for the New York Choreographic Institute, which is a little bit like our Next Step program. Uh, in the Choreographic Institute, choreographers, sometimes who are members of New York City Ballet and sometimes uh, choreographers who have applied to be part of the program come from elsewhere and work with the students in the School of American Ballet. And uh, Justin was one of those choreographers, and one of the students he worked with was Angelica Generosa. And he made on her the part that you'll see her dance tonight. Uh, when, the, when the ballet had its professional premiere uh, with New York City Ballet, it was a role dance by Ashley Bowder. But uh, it had been worked out on Angelica, and uh, she's on stage tonight. She's also on the cover of the program. I think she has, these, these titles are great because they so don't match her, uh, Year of the Ox uh, and Year of the Boar. <laughs> but um, it's all set to music by Sufjan Stephen from his uh, album from 2002. It's an electronic music album called Enjoy Your Rabbit. It was a song cycle based on uh, the Chinese uh, zodiac. And uh, shortly after, it was arranged for strings. And uh, that is the version that Justin used for his ballet. And he doesn't use all of the movements. He uses seven of the movements uh, to create the ballet. Uh, Justin Peck, one of the things he's known for early on in his career, and I think he's just 30, is um, the way he's able to move people around on stage and really work with groups, work with the ensemble, and uh, come up with, I think, really ingenious ways of deploying them on stage geometrically and with the various kind of movements they do. So you'll see a lot of attention paid to that in Year of the Rabbit. A lot of wonderful images created by the whole ensemble. Uh, really high energy and uh, just really showing, uh, I think, what Justin's uh, ideas about ballet are. And uh, if you are able to follow any of his other work, most of it now is made for New York City Ballet. He made a short work called Debonair for us a few seasons ago. This is a little bit of a departure for him. It was a little bit more of a, a low-key work, but I think we see sort of quintessential uh, Justin Peck here in Year of the Rabbit. And sure. He's also nominated for Tony for Choreography for Carousel. He is nominated for the Tony for Carousel. So, and just an aside, on my way to Russia, I'm going to New York, and I was supposed to see Carousel on Sunday night, and they canceled the show. Oh. And Renee Fleming is in it. I don't know why they canceled it. Maybe there's a Tony's rehearsal. I don't know. It's the next week. But, uh, so I can't report on that. Yes, sir. Seth Orza wrote uh, something to Beethoven's Bell violin concerto a few years ago. Right. ever grow wheels? It has not yet, but it's Seth Orza. It was for Next Step, am I right? Right. Yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, Beethoven. Well, there's more out there to be had. Yeah, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, good. Thank you for reminding me of that. That's good. Add to the small collection of Beethoven ballets. We have just a couple minutes. I'd be happy to answer anything else for you, sure. Is the After the Rain couple one of the couples from the first half of the, of the ballet, After the Rain? I don't think so. And I've just seen it one time complete. 
I want to say they're not because the first half segues into the second and it's a di different costume and the hair is down and uh, I think that it's a different set of people. And um, also, the, was Tide Harmonic the only, like, the, the music was directly for the ballet? Whereas, like, it seems like all four of these, the other titles, come from the music that they're, like, very closely tied. Um, but that was the only one that the music was written for the ballet specifically, Yes. Well, it's not quite right. We're talking about Tide Harmonic. The, the work existed as a larger work from 2009, but then the arrangement was made for the ballet in 2013. So it kind of was written for, for the, it certainly was tailored for the ballet, yes. Sure. For season encore is what will be performed? Oh, season encore, thank you. So season encore is our annual year-end uh, sort of one-off show that we'll do next <laughs> Sunday the 10th. Um, and in it we honor dancers who are leaving or look back at the season uh, we'll look back at Diamonds our new production of Diamonds we'll have the Potida and the Finale which is the big Polonaise and Corel Cruz will dance that Corel also will dance uh, the Don Quixote Potida with his wife Lindsay Deck um, see what After the Rain is on that program uh, then it's a little bit of a smorgasbord. Uh, Nutcracker Potida is on there. Uh, America from West Side Story Suite, which is coming back in the fall for our Robbins Festival. Tarantella by Balanchine Potida. That's a real tour de force, and that will be on the, this program in one year from now, but you'll see a preview of it on the Encore program. Yes, thank you. White Swan Potida from Swan Lake Act 2. And I think that's it. Yeah, so that's next Sunday, June 10th, 6.30. And it's always, it's a very nice program. There's some speeches and flowers, and it's a very uh, personal program for the dancers. So particularly for Carell, who's retiring after 16 years, he will go to Paris with us. His last performance will be on July 7th uh, in Paris. So, yeah. All right, we are at time. So uh, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here tonight and supporting the ballot.